you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. So today is, uh, with last week and this week, a major transition in the book of Samuel. Um, The last three chapters we've seen uh, Saul's um, reign as king sort of spiraling downward. And last week in particular, we looked at his failure to obey the word of the Lord fully, couching his disobedience in terms of obedience. So saying he obeyed the word of the Lord when it was clear that he had not. And thus God rejects him as king over Israel and uh, Samuel turns his back on Saul and departs. So today... um, Uh, We'll see the one or we get introduced to the one uh, who God has chosen to be king over Israel now, even though Saul will continue to reign um, for another 15 chapters. uh, God has already chosen chosen a man after his own heart. And today we'll meet him. He's still a boy, the youngest and the least in his father's household at this point. So before I read uh, chapter 16, let me open some word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do worship and glorify you. We give you praise for your great uh, work of creation, how it shines forth on such a beautiful morning, how we can soak up the beauties of the earth that you created. But we also praise you. For your great uh, beauty of redemption, that you took the ugliness of sin that dwelt in the innermost being of our hearts, and that you took out that that cold, dirty heart of stone and you replaced it with a living heart of flesh, that you sent your spirit to dwell in us, uh, that you have quickened us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we confess that we are so often uh, tempted to judge and to look upon things by their appearance. But you instruct us and tell us today that you are a God who doesn't just look on the outward things, but looks upon the very innermost part of us, that you look upon our hearts, the totality of our being. And we know that there uh, we cannot hide from you. We try to make ourselves appear good on the outside. We know the sin that dwells within us. So we ask that you would forgive us that sin through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that we would truly repent of it, have a deep sorrow for that sin. But most of all, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might serve you and proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. Help us to be men and women after God's own heart, as we see in David this day. Uh, give us insight into your holy word this morning. Uh, teach us not only to think, but also to do. And we ask it in the power of your Holy Spirit, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long? Will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? 
fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech. A man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. 
Alright, so our chapter here begins with uh, Samuel grieving over Saul. Why on earth is Samuel still mourning over Saul? Why is this man who is so anti-king now grieve over God's rejection of the king? Why Saul mourning? Okay, so one option, he's, he's mourning because he's taking it personally. He, he's anointed, he's, I mean, he is the kingmaker. Um, you know, to sort of think he had a extremely prominent hand in making this, this man king, and now this guy's rejected. So, um, so there's the, the personal aspect of it. What else do you think? Why is Saul mourning? Yeah, and especially since, I mean, we got glimpses of what could have been under Saul. You know, the, the, the beginning of his reign certainly starts off promising. So, you know, it, it, things seemed at the beginning of Saul's reign seemed to be going swimmingly. And then, so, you, you know, you have a glimpse of what it could have been like. And then to, to see um, Saul start to have this troubling pattern of... of Subtly disobeying God's commands and not owning up to the fact that he's disobeying, but you know, couching his disobedience under the guise of worship people. And you can see how that would be deeply troubling. So we've got the personal sense of mourning for him. We've got mourning over what could have been. Other options? Yeah, what's going to happen to Israel? Uh, remember, he, Samuel had, had given this big lengthy speech about uh, you know, the people's responsibility toward the king and the king toward the people. And he, he warned them, you know, this king, if he goes astray, you know, it's not just going to fall on him. It's going to fall on you. So I think there's a sense in here as well that he's concerned for Israel. What's going to happen to Israel now that they have this rejected king on the throne? And is the displeasure from God that has clearly fallen upon this king to reject him, is that displeasure now going to fall on the entirety of the people? So I think there, there's that sense as well, that um, he's concerned uh, for Israel as well. So you've sort of got this picture of Saul... Continuing to grieve, and the, the verb there is a continuous action verb. So it's, um, you know, and it's really striking. You, know, you have the rejection that God says, you know, I've rejected them. That's a one-time done deal where, so God's had this, it's, it's done, he's rejected. Yet Saul, continue, I mean, Samuel continues to mourn for Saul. So it's that continuous action. So, um, so God comes to this grieving Samuel, gives him a kick in the pants, saying, "Go, um, I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king 
among his sons. So um, we see there's a lot of fear in these early verses. And we're told that Samuel's afraid. How can I go anoint someone else king? This is a, you know, we have a king on the throne now. The first time I did it, you know, it was a rejection of God. Now it's a rejection of a human king. Um, So this is an act of treason. And if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. So Samuel's afraid. Why are these people of Bethlehem afraid? Um, You know, in, in verse four, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and say, do you come in peace? Why? Why is the town of Bethlehem worried about Samuel showing up? Samuel never struck me as that's kind of scary of a person. Maybe he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here we, you know, we, we have a man who has a direct channel to God, the man who brings God's word to Israel, and now he's unexpectedly showing up in our town. <laughs> <laughs> little hand wringing you know it's like the, the dean showing up in my classroom unexpectedly what I do <laughs> the police so God or Samuel is the uh God's policeman <laughs> showing, knocking up on the town of Bethlehem. Why do you think? Why, why are these people afraid of Samuel? So one, is God bringing some kind of word of judgment upon them? That's one option. Yeah, anytime God speaks. Um, yeah, it, to think of it in political terms like that, um, both for in terms of, you know, we, we have that clearly in the sense of Samuel's fear. He's afraid uh to get up and go do this action because how it's going to be politically received by the sitting king of Israel. And to think in terms, maybe some of that is involved in um, Bethlehem's reception of them. You know, why is this guy coming to us? Isn't this guy on the outs with the king? Um, so, so that's a possibility uh, to sort of think about um, the, there's the spiritual sphere so maybe they're trembling, you know, and, and hence their question, are you coming in peace? <laughs> bringing a good word from God? Um, is it politically? Are you coming in peace? <laughs> or are you, you know, trying to involve us in some kind of um, rebellion against the king? Or are you coming, your coming will bring the king's displeasure upon us? Say anything, you're going to say something, are you scratching? Okay. Uh, I'm the auctioneer up here, so, you know. So, no. I once bought a painting accidentally. 
So you have this this shadow of fear hanging over um, Samuel's arrival in Bethlehem, and he shows up, and um, and it's like, no, come in peace. Look, brought my little heifer along. We're gonna have a little sacrifice. Bring everybody out, consecrate. Um, uh, you know, come with me to the sacrifice. Um, he consecrates Jesse and his sons, invites them to the sacrifice. Now, notice Samuel has gone to this not knowing which one of Jesse's sons he's to anoint. Um, that God has said, I will show you. Uh, I will declare to you which one uh, that you're to anoint. I will show you what you shall do. So all he knows is he's somewhere in the household of Jesse. Um, there's a king. And look at his reaction when he sees Eliab. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Um, why is Samuel so impressed with Eliab? Tall, handsome. He's on the all-Judah basketball team. He's the oldest. Um, so, you know, he's... And, you know, we, we get little glimpses of, of Jesse's household as the story unfolds in future chapters. But, it, it, it you know... Jesse has a, a his household has a good reputation. So here's the oldest son in a house of, of, of good reputation. You know, we're going to see in the next chapter these oldest sons um, are in Saul's army. So you know, um, so there's some military prowess in the household as well. So he's the oldest. He's good looking. He's tall. Patriotic. We know he goes and serves the country. Comes out and fights for Saul against these uncircumcised Philistines. Who does he sound like? He does sound a lot like Saul. Um, you know, remember we had that description of Saul being head and shoulders above everyone else. This um, impressive physical appearance, and and look how um, you know the response that God gives. Uh, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. We've just seen that same word rejected in terms of Saul. Um, so, I mean, I think uh, our narrator here is giving us a very close um, picture between Eliab and, and Saul. You know, they're similar in appearance and God describes them. Or his attitude toward them. Nope, I rejected this one, just like I rejected the other one that was good-looking and tall and, and strong and patriotic. So you have this uh, contrast between appearance and the heart. So what does it mean to look at the heart? What does it mean that, you know, the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does it mean for God to look upon the heart? <laughs> the innermost self. It's who you are. Um, it's to sort of think in a, Aristotelian terms, 
It's the substance of a person versus the you know the accidents, the outward appearance. You know, I'm still the same person I was when I was 11, but I look very different. Got a little more down here, a little more up here, only a little bit. Um, the shortest of my brothers. Um, but the outward appearance changes, but there's this inward part of a person, their substance, their heart, that that doesn't. Um, uh, it, it's who they are. So what it. Okay, so the heart, when we speak of the heart, it talks about the intent of a person. Um, and that, I think, is important, again, to think in terms of, uh, in, in terms of Saul, um, some of his actions we've seen him doing. What, what is the intention behind some of these actions? Yeah, is he, is he elevating himself or is he doing it to elevate God? Uh, and we, we sort of see, saw him repeatedly um, you know, rather than devoting the whole city to destruction as an offering to the Lord, you know, he's doing sacrifices. So you know, he gets the credit for this great feast that everyone shares in. And Saul himself gets to share this for So intentions. If, um, as we think about this, if appearance, um, you know, it. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. So if appearance doesn't matter, why does the text go to the lengths it says to tell us David's ruddy, beautiful eyes, and handsome? So <laughs> appearance doesn't matter, but this guy is good looking. <laughs> yeah, it's an indifferent thing. Um, and it's the way in which... We are often captured by these indifferent qualities um, uh, that we get captivated by appearance. And God is, is not captivated by that appearance. He looks beyond that appearance. So, you know, it's not that God rejects beautiful people. <laughs> God's indifferent. Um, sometimes they are beautiful. And David happened to have beautiful eyes. What that means, I don't know. But. You look like me. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, he's born, he's ruddy. Um, somebody um, uh, mentioned, uh, or something I was reading this week mentioned that uh, the last person we had somebody described as ruddy. Anybody knows who that is? Esau. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's described in, in terms of, of Esau in appearance. He's ruddy. Uh, beautiful eyes, um, handsome. Uh, we're not told that Esau has beautiful eyes, handsome, but we are told he's ruddy, has this uh, red kind of rugged appearance. He's beautiful. Um, yeah, when we went over that in our Exodus um, Bible study, uh, we, we had this whole entire discussion. Now, if, if if Moses had been ugly, would his mother have thrown him back? <laughs> when she saw that he was a fine child, she hit him three months, you know. If he looked like me, <laughs> good 
thing Moses was good looking. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, if he had club foot or something. There's nothing about his appearance, um, as Isaiah says, that draws us to um, it. is his heart that's attractive. It's not the physical appearance. And again, I think um, there's a lot of, of messianic aspects of this. And, and to think about, um, you know, Samuel shows up. This is a big deal. The prophet of the Lord coming to town. Everybody has to get cleaned up so they can be consecrated and have this feast uh, with him. It's a sacrifice, a worship service, but it's also a meal. So you're eating with the prophet. Um, And David's an afterthought. Uh, You know, we have this this vision of all these sons parading before um, uh, Samuel, and you know, here's Jesse saying, "Well, here's my next son." And, nope, the Lord's not chosen him. Next son, the Lord's not chosen him. Goes through, and then finally Samuel's like, "Isn't there anybody left?" <laughs> Wait a minute, God said this household. Um, you know, do you have any? Are all your sons here? <laughs> Surely there's got to be someone else. Um, you know. For some reason, I had Cinderella in my head. Um, you know, the glass slipper hasn't fit anyone here yet. Um, you know, God's told me he's here. Oh, yeah, the youngest. Yeah, he's keeping the sheep. <laughs> so here you have this family um, being invited to the sacrifice with the prophet of the Lord. And David, yeah, there's no need to go get him out of the field. Tending a sheep. He's the youngest. Um, and that's who God chooses. Um, you know, and to think of, you know, those the verses, you know, the last shall be first. And here we have a very living picture of, um, you know, the last son being put uh, at the head of his brothers. Um, the older will serve the younger. And again, just like the appearance, God chooses the people who we might not expect. God picks unlikely people to serve them. Well, um, that was actually a, a lead. Well, yeah, we'll lead into. I had that question. Do, do they know what they're. <laughs> Because Jesse's like, you know, parading them before him. You know, he's making each son pass by. Uh, and Samuel, the Lord has not chosen these. Chosen to do what? Um, we, we're told that he's an, this youngest son is anointed, but it's before his brothers. But it doesn't say what he's anointed for. So do they know? What's going on? Or is, you know, crazy old Samuel showing up, sprinkling oil on people, 
And um, so do they know that their brother, the youngest, this this keeper of sheep, has just been anointed next king of Israel? Or do they know he's just being set apart for some purpose yet unknown by the prophet of the Lord? Yeah, it, you know, it becomes it certainly becomes much more publicized uh, once it gets out of the family circle. Um, we're only told in the midst of his brothers, but we know that that Samuel has come and invited the the elders to the sacrifice. So, yeah, when did this this interview uh, process with the sons of Jesse um, start taking place? So. Um, yeah, it's unclear. We're only specifically told that it's in the midst of his brothers. Um, so his brothers know something, which is going to make next week um, uh, interesting because we're going to see some interaction between David and his brothers on this uh, battlefield um, before the Philistines and the armies of Israel. Um, so, you know, to sort of think about that later um, episode or confrontation and accusation of his brothers uh, in light of this, knowing that Samuel has anointed David to some purpose. So do you think his brothers know he's king or (laughs) not? People are anointed for other things. Uh, So and, you know, we've only had one episode of anointing so far for a king. So, I mean, if we we're looking at the graph of what things people are anointed for, King is still, you know, yeah. Plus, there's still one there, and uh, to sort of think. Of, uh, but the other thing to think it is becoming the pattern that the anointed one refers to the king. So I mean, that's going to become our usage, and we've already seen that usage in Samuel that God is using anointed. As synonym for king, but whether that's in people's language yet, I don't know. It's out there. Something to think about. I don't know that I have an answer on this, but something to think about. I mean, to sort of think of the family dynamic of this. Um, one thing I wanted to, to note before we move to the second half of the chapter is notice we don't get David's name. Until the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. That's, you know, his name shows up in verse 13. That's the first time we hear the word David. It's the first appearance of David um, in, in the book. Uh, and it's, it's tied to the spirit of the Lord rushing upon David. From prior to this point, he had only been referred to as uh, the youngest. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So, you know, he's a he, he's a, he's the youngest. And then spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Now he has a name. Uh, you know, obviously he had a name before then. But, you know, that's the point our, our narrator is naming him. So to connect this, uh, his identity with the spirit of the Lord being upon him. And once again, we see the spirit of the Lord 
coming upon a person um, to equip them for, for their work. So this passage is all about God choosing someone, God electing someone for a particular purpose. But God doesn't choose someone and, and not also equip them for that work. And so the spirit of the Lord is coming upon David from that day forward, equipping him from the work uh, as king. So between 13 and 14, what a contrast. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And this uh, harmful, or some translations have evil spirit from the Lord um, coming to torment or torture him. So, yeesh, what do we do with this evil spirit of the Lord tormenting Saul? Poor guy's been rejected as king, and now he's getting tortured by an evil spirit as well. How do we understand this? What do we make of this evil spirit or this harmful spirit of the Lord um, tormenting Saul? scares me. <laughs> what do you think? How do you understand this? Yeah. <laughs> it is a promotion for music therapy, and the music does uh, seem to work. Um, and, you know, to, to take the, the fun part of that and to sort of to think about how this is, it is, in a sense, setting up. I mean, that's the setup for the rest of the chapter. Um, and that's the setup for bringing David into the household of the king. Um, so it's it's um, it's this troubling spirit that's coming from Saul. But because this troubled spirit is from Saul, David is now brought into the halls of power. You know, he's leaving the sheep behind and now he's before the king. So it. Um, uh, this harmful spirit um, serves as the uh, driving force for bringing David and Saul together. Yeah, and notice it's training time in, in terms um, he's being taught to rule by serving. Again, I, you know, I, I said earlier there's a lot of sort of messianic uh, aspects of this passage. And here you have the person who would be king and his first steps into the halls of power is as a servant. He is there to serve Saul, um, both in terms of music and then also in term, terms of his armor bearer. But he, he enters his service. Yeah, he gets to he gets to um, to witness, you know, the whole thing, the whole shebang. He's being trained up in a sense in the king's household, not as heir, though. So he's not seeing any of this as. And I think that's the the the, the cool thing about David's preparation. He's, he's going into it uh, in this position of servant. Um, he will be king. 
but his introduction to what being king is like is from the perspective of someone who works for Your wife pointed to you first. So. <laughs> well, we're dancing around. <laughs> That's why I volunteer to teach. I don't have to answer questions. I just get to ask them. <laughs> I mean, and it's really striking. Spirit, spirit leaves Saul. God is sovereign. And it's really interesting how, um, you know, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we want, you know, like, we want, you know, commentary, explanation. And our author here is presenting it just flat out. God's sovereign. God sends this, uh, the spirit. Um, and, you know, harm, I like the ESV. Um, I mean, the, sometimes you get evil spirit. And I think just because we have connotations, uh, it's hard for us to think of evil um, not in moral terms. But this word, um, uh, you know, it can have moral connotations. It could also just have, to have the sort of injurious connotations, harmful. Something that's, that is troubling him. Um, it, it's, and to see that God is control of it. Um, God is sovereign over that. And just like we see the evil befalling Christ, that God meant it for good. Here we see, uh, even though this um, harmful spirit is from the Lord, notice also the grace in God's relieving that, that torment by bringing the anointed into the household. Um, I mean, and that's the irony of this passage. The rejected king is bringing the new king into his household. And it's not just he's unaware, but it's not just that he's unaware, but how this new king is bringing relief 
and joy into the life of this troubled, rejected king. Even Saul is is being relieved by the newly anointed king. I mean, that's the irony of, of this passage. And it's an irony that, you know, that derives from God's um, sovereign uh, dispensation of this situation. Pardon me. And notice even Saul's, it's not just from the narrator's perspective. Saul's servants, you know, recognize this. Uh, behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting. Uh, so it's, uh, it's recognizable, not just to, you know, our omniscient God's eye narrator, but to people in the situation itself, that they recognize it. It's from God. And Yeah, sometimes we're our own best torture, <laughs> uh, tormented by our own thoughts. So we're learning God is sovereign. We're also learning God is other. Uh, he is not us. We, we can't come up with, you know, our equations to figure out probability. Uh, yeah. Reformation is active. 
Okay, I gotta think on that. <laughs> Someone else? <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm not wondering. I'm wondering how that works in life. <laughs> um, yeah, we have not asked that question. Or maybe we've, we've danced around that question. Is Saul uh, truly converted? Because, um, uh, um, yeah, let's dance on that question for a while. Is Saul converted or not? Um, and one thing about Saul um, that we have to wrestle with, this is the only time the spirit of the Lord departs from someone. So, Saul, converted, not converted, equipped by the spirit for a time, and then the spirit departs from him. Um, so God sort of used him for a time. You gotta ask him what he said. <laughs> I'll, I'll mediate the conversation.
Yeah, and to think, and again, um, the way, I'm glad you brought it to um, all the reasons people give for rejecting Christ. And um, I was sort of thinking, you know, he's from the round town, you know, he, we want a military king, not this kind of spiritual king. the irony that and in the earlier chapter you know um, I've picked your neighbor (laughs) Saul doesn't know who that neighbor is and you know here's that neighbor (laughs) right this person close to him Uh, Tim We did talk about it. Um, so uh, what we talked about was uh, uh, the sense of <laughs> yeah. So we talked about we talked about the sense of intellectual capacity that is applying or trying to understand God's again the same way. Patrick was talking about how he's brave. Uh, you know, and it's the problem of 
are human number kind of operations of a being that's other. Uh, so we can only come to understand it in terms of uh, or we can only express it in our kind of in terms of within even though so it's sort of keeping the understanding by keeping the sequence in terms of practicing God is a one that we can, and yet from our human perspective, we change it. Which, we're at the end of our time, but to, to keep thinking about this in terms of, and maybe we can come back to the, the you know, what does that mean in terms of Saul? Um, and, and the spirit of the Lord departing from it. Um, Yeah, that God, um, that even though God wasn't surprised by Saul's um, actions, they still, God still uh, lamented those actions. He was still grieved by those actions. So that was another thing we had talked about last week in terms of, of, of um, the repenting, um, that, that these actions of Saul troubled God. He wasn't surprised by it, but, you know, just like Jesus um, before he knows, you know, the cross is the way, but he still, uh, you know, has the garden experience where he's weeping going to death. So it's n- just because he knows it's going to happen doesn't mean it ceases to trouble him in a sense. Yeah. Jesus weeps even though he knows Jet is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, and again, to think, uh, there's a lot of irony, I mean, uh, in the second half. Well, there's a lot of irony in the entire chapter. But the second half, uh, you know, really sort of, you know, it, it gives us this, David's anointed, and now, <laughs> you know, it's really, God chooses David to be king, and then the king chooses David to be in his service. Uh, you know, so you have this uh, pairing of David being sort of twice chosen. All right. Well, we'll come back um, to some of these issues next week um, when we turn to uh, David and our enormous Philistine. Uh, Let me close this in a word of prayer. Almighty God, uh, creator and sovereign Lord of the universe, we acknowledge that you are uh, different than us, that you are other. That, um, that there is a gulf between us and you. But we thank you and praise you that you have bridged that gulf, that you have communicated 
to us in our fallen human language that you deign to even use our words to give us glimpses of who you are and what uh, your character is like. And you give us um, pictures and glimpses of how you sovereignly control the world. Lord God, we wrestle with these things and these things um, cause us difficulties and troubles, um, both intellectually but also at times in our life. And our response, we are, or the response we seek to you, Lord God, um, isn't so much greater understanding but greater trust that you would use these questions to bring us into deeper relationship and to a more enduring faith in you. And we thank you that in your sovereignty that you deign uh, to do something that the world despised, that you would send your son to die on a cross, a cursed death, uh, the last thing that we would expect the Son of God to do. That is what you did for us. And it's through that uh, evil act uh, on the part of men that your great, enormous, loving goodness to us is displayed. And help us to understand that and to trust you more and more in our daily experience. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.